This is the second part of Akshay's conversation with Anish Reddy, founder of Capillary. That was also personally a time when, you know, I had just turned 35. It was 13 years as a founder, or, or sorry, 11, 12 years as a founder. Uh, you know, kind of a midlife crisis as well. It's like just in this thing of, you know, hey, has it been too long? Uh, what's happening in life, etc. And as a founder, you do gain a lot of baggage, right? I mean, not not more than 20% of what you try will work. Uh, and thankfully, that 20 that worked, you know, uh, covered up for all the other sins that I had over the over the 11, 12 years. But, but it's still a lot of baggage, right? And you, you can get to a place where, uh, you know, your mind is just in this very negative place of saying, hey, you messed up at so many places at so many levels. Uh, especially when you take the hard calls on turning the company profitable. Then you feel like a lot of the money you invested in places in the in the company, right? Uh, should you have even done that? What a stupid move. Uh, and you have this constant uh, voice in your mind just saying, oh man, what a mess up, right? So, <laughs> so luckily for me, what happened was... Um, you know, a bunch of friends, uh, we all went out to uh, Goa for our 35th birthday. I mean, school friends, you know, we've been together since our kindergarten. So, knew each other, like, very well. Grandparents know each other, parents know each other. A group of nine, actually, pretty large group in that sense. So, we all went to Goa and uh, we were just, and people had flown from the U.S. This was December of 2020, uh, December of 2019. <laughs> And uh, folks had flown in from the U.S., from Germany, from various places, right, for that uh, uh, for that week that we were taking off. Uh, you know, usual stuff. All of us got drunk. We were talking about what what's happened with life uh, and where has life taken us, etc. And here I was. You know, I, I think I made some kind of statement that uh, I think life is all downhill from here. Uh, you know, and then the guys were like very surprised. He was like. And this is a guy who's done so well in life. Uh, and why is he saying this? Life is all downhill from here. And I was just mentally in that space. Uh, right? So, so one of them who's, you know, a, a banker with IFC. He's a venture capitalist. He's a banker with IFC, Karthik. Uh, he then said, hey, boss, you're like overthinking this, I think. You should just go to a Vipassana. You know, I, I had done it three, four years ago uh, when I was... You know, and, and it really helped. Uh, so, and, and, you know, this is a group which knows me really well. You know, we've been thickest of friends for uh, ever. And a group where, you know, I don't have to think, you know, the rest of the place, the, all the world is a stage, right? So, took that seriously, you know, found uh, uh, a course in Jan and, you know, usually these things get booked out fairly quickly. Uh, went to some really small uh, center, Pocharam in Nizambad, which is some five hours away from Hyderabad. You know, uh, nice center, small place. Uh, had an amazing uh, 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 breakthrough in some senses, right? So it was just, I thought in those 10 days, I cleared up some 12, 15 years of baggage uh, in my head. Uh, so it, it just felt like, I felt as clean in my head as when I got out of IIT. You know, and all, like, it was that clean, you know, no baggage. The world again seemed like a land of opportunity, you know, so a little bit of that. 
And, and of course, then I, I think the reason I'm saying this is it really helped with what happened when COVID hit. Uh, you know, otherwise, you know, when COVID hit, it was like, oh, we spent the last full year fixing a lot of stuff in the company, moving to larger enterprises, you know, uh, getting the PNL in shape, going from a, you know, minus 65, minus 70% EBITDA to a plus three, plus four in like four or five quarters, a lot of hard work, right? Like real, real grind across the business. Uh, and then, you know, COVID hits and then you're like, you, it, it's like our cash flows fell like 80%, you know, and we've had very good customers, you know, folks who always paid us on time, uh, people like Akubilla Group, uh, Tata's, etc. But it was also times when their own business shrank to zero, you know, so obviously people prioritize employee costs before vendor costs and, and our cash flows really went to zero, right? Other than some international e-commerce customers, everything else just went to, uh, and, and so this was, uh, March 20th, right? When the lockdowns got announced and, uh, we just cleared diligence. Ernst Young was doing diligence for this UK fund, this UK debt fund. It was all done. It's right? so, and the guy, obviously even for them, it's like, Hey, retail tech company, God knows when this is going to come back. And this is debt, right? It's not equity, you know? So, uh, the guy obviously started dilly dallying a bit. Uh, and, and so I think we really had two options at that point in time. One was to see the reading and say, boss, like, this is not going to happen. Uh, the second was to say, no, no, he's just dilly dallying. He might come and like, you know, and, and people never say no immediately, right? They'll delay it by one week, then delay it by two weeks. Then, so, so finally it was mid of April that the guy came back saying, hey, sorry, like this just won't, won't happen. Just given the macro. Uh, you know, all that stuff, right? So, and uh, luckily, or, or, you know, given I had just done the past nothing, I think I had a clean mind, no baggage. Uh, and so, no, um, and so it seemed very apparent. If you have to save the company now with 20% cash flows, 20% cash in the bank, uh, sorry, 20% cash flows, and probably, you know, one, two months of real burn left in the bank, right? Uh, uh, I mean, at, at this 80%, you know, and, and like, uh, how much ever money, if I earlier had money for like six months, you know, with some very little burn, now I have like nothing left, right? Because 80% of my cash flows are vanished, are vanishing overnight, right? So, yeah, and there were many things playing in the head, you know, like we've been very lucky to have... Uh, very good employees stay with us for many, many years, right? Of the one of the 150 people who joined us, the first 150, about 50 have spent more than 10 years here, right? So, and then you had this choice of saying, look, we have to let these guys go now, right? So, uh, and then of course, there was this thing of saying, look, will you fire people who have worked with you for 10 years in a lockdown, cold shoulder, Right. Uh, when they just locked up in their own houses, uh, and have nowhere to go. Right. And there are no jobs. There's nothing placed anywhere. Now, I think it was a very, very, uh, uh, testing time, right. In, in some senses. And I think we took the very hard call. We took the hard call of saying, look, uh, I mean, if you don't save the company, then you will have to fire everyone eventually. Uh, and, and so we, 
we actually let go like we cut uh, 70% of cost in like in like a week right and and the way we did it was uh, with some very very hard calls we decided to uh, let like 33% of the company go uh, and uh, we of course we made sure that the average payout even though we didn't have money was like 4 months of severance you know and for everyone who had spent an year with us we had one more month each right so people had like all the way up to 9 10 months of uh, severance uh, we put the rest of the teams on a 25% salary cut i went on a zero uh, right so of course vendor cost came down all that stuff we did exactly what our customers did to us in some senses but you know kind of got to a place where we uh, where we got cost down to like 33% right so uh, and 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 took some very hard calls of saying we will do this in the lockdown so march 27th i still remember the day was when we you know had this massive all hands uh, you know uh, asked these 33% of folks to leave and the idea of doing it early uh, akshay was that you can then go back and get these guys placed before the market really uh, tanks right so uh, so we um and 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 so it was and we did we took a lot of care we got a i mean we do a lot of work with yodos so yodos was there on every call uh where we were speaking to employees they would call the employees up who were being let go like three times a week for the next four five weeks to make sure you know uh the scripts of what we would say was actually drafted by a a psychologist that look don't use the word redundant don't use this word don't use that word uh on that on the very next day we had a resume building session for everyone uh we then got it was like a iit campus placement we got 102 companies to uh, there were 250 folks impacted to offer 750 roles uh so in so everyone i had ever anyone who ever called me and said look hey what do i do about this situation you know founders call you right ki you know i i'm struggling with this tell me so everyone who had called me you know i had made a list i had called them up and said buddy like time to like you know return favors now <laughs> so luckily that worked out you know out of the 250 people about 220 got a job within like two months uh you know so it, it really just saved the day i thought it was a i don't think i would have been able to do that if this if i had not gone to this vipassana thing i would have just been stuck with this baggage of saying hey these guys have been with you for so long like how can you let them go now how in a lockdown we would have probably waited for the lockdown to end by when it should have been too late right by when number of you know i, I don't think we would have been able to get those guys placed out right so yeah so it was it was it was hard but i i thought we we kind of took some uh you know and, and luckily for us at that point in time i think the investors also stepped up uh you know that uh, so i think you know in a two week period between the three of them they wired in 5 million so then i at least had a one year runway with the lower cost i had a one year runway right so so we went deep enough 
that you didn't go to the bone. Uh, in fact, the, the employees who stayed back, right, we had, they had taken deep cuts, we had delayed variables, we had delayed hikes. Uh, and for the people who were leaving, they were paid everything, right? Including a more than like more than what was legally required severance. So a bunch of folks came back and said, "Look, like we feel we should have been let go. You know, you treated them better than you're treating us." <laughs> you know, it was just the right thing to do, right? It was just the right thing to. I mean, and uh, and luckily, you know, I think the business returned in about six eight months. Uh, we still degrew that year. That was the first year in our in the business when we really degrew. We degrew by some 20-25%. Uh, we also had to do the right thing for the customers, right? So we actually, without any questions being asked, we gave a, a, almost a, a four months off for everyone. You know, for a lot of customers, we uh, moved them to, you know, saying, look, we know your cash flow issues, so we'll, like, if our usual payment terms are 60 days, we'll will like not follow up till you get to 120, right? So, and then luckily there were a few customers like, you know, the Tata's, Satgurla Group, etc. who once thing, I mean, they could raise debt very quickly, so they also started paying, right? So it was a, uh, even with vendors, we, what we did was we paid off all the small vendors very quickly uh, because, I mean, we were also small, so we kind of knew that the struggle would be highest there. The large vendors, we spoke to them and said, hey guys, like, look, you'll have to like, give us a deal on this. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was very, it was, uh, uh, and, and I think we did some things well, which was, we went very deep, very quickly. Uh, you know, what I saw some of the other founders do uh, was try and take this 5% cut every month. Things will improve, things will improve. And they don't improve and then you take some more, then you take some more. As a net result, what happens with the company then is you're in this constant state of shock. So in, in our case, what happened was we went so deep at the first cut itself. We went 65% down rather than going 25% down, right? So we went, because we went that deep, you know, any news was better than the news I could get. But I'd assume. And, 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 and that also meant that uh, the day after the cuts, for the next three weeks, all I did was run a placement sale. I was not bothered about what news is coming from the market, you know, none of that stuff. We were just heads on saying, look, here are, and it was a, every day morning, evening, we would have the, we converted our recruitment team into the outplacement team. So we have, I don't think I've been involved in hiring as much as I was involved in outplacement. <laughs> you know, it was that level of... I mean, I don't think we could have done that if there was this constant, hey, but what makes, what makes, what makes types, right? So, you know, so, yeah, yeah. So I think that, that really helped. Uh, I thought that was a, a good learning for the company as well. So in fact, what happened was as things were improving, as we started seeing that lockdowns got lifted in, in June, we paid variables out in July, right? Instead of paying them out in April. Uh, that was one big boost to the team. They look, hey, okay, right? You know, things are coming back, right? So, in October, we reversed back to normal salaries. In uh, in March of the next year, we actually paid out all the arrears also. The whatever we had cut as salary cuts, we paid it off, right? So, so, it was a good, I mean, as a team, I think it just built that whole thing of saying, look, hey, we fought this one, we could have died. And we saw a bunch of our other partners in retail, like in, in, in the startup space, not survive, right? So, we... 
so it was just for the team it was great muscle memory of saying hey i mean together we got out of this mess right we were doing all hands every 15 days there would be an all hands where i would actually show that look here's here's how much we collected in the last few days so this month here is how much we've actually burned here is how much cash is left that level of transparency so no one needed to ever guess that look kya hone wala hai abhi right so you just uh, and i think that really helped uh, that really helped as well but yeah no so those were i, I thought really good learnings but also what happened with that uh, akshay was again thanks to the vipassana my baggage on the us was gone right i mean i had this very you know obviously kk moved on after we opened the us there was this whole you know it really tore the company apart right so uh, and so that baggage moved off we then sat down in may you know because i had done this clean up properly and we were trying to we spent the whole of may june when business was low uh, we got in psyche from extrotenix uh i don't know if you've heard of extrotenix but um to so there this i i yeah they this mckinsey for startups type uh, thing they they do what's called a business design you know and and so you know we had two three months no customers like you know it was like chilled out so we got him in saying look hey uh, help us figure what we should do right obviously now you know this 11 12 13 years i feel uh, you know we've kind of hit a a plateau right so we were at retail in asia was what we were focused on uh, we kind of hit a plateau there right so I mean, we were growing but you know we were profitable but it was not like uh, uh, and you know the one question i would anyway get asked by everyone is 300 million dollar market uh, like you're already at 30 32 million like how much more can this grow and you would obviously give them very very strong answers you know we're doing ab karenge ab karenge all that stuff right so so again given i didn't have this headache of to deal with what's happening with covid right uh, we we went the other way around of actually saying hey let's redesign the business right so uh, and that's when we took some very hard calls to saying no mid market no smb going forward only large enterprise let's get out of retail i mean continue with retail but add other verticals right let's go from asia to us uh, given you have a some 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 reasonably strong pivots uh, you know so uh, and those have really played out very well right if when we entered covid 90% of revenue was retail today it is 55% right and we work with the best oil and gas companies like shell we work with the best consumer goods companies like unilever nestle abbott we work with some of the best travel and hospitality players uh, you know saber is a large partner for us so a, a, a lot of you know uh, and because we had all this time now customers want like serious about us for that period we used those that time to really build out for these verticals so the core 70% of the product was same you had to change to 25 30% every year you pick two and you know redo the whole thing right so that kind of worked uh, on the us you know uh, one of our employees was he got married he was moving to canada uh, so i said look continue on the roads just you know sell into the us right so we then went and signed up a, a one of the ex ceos of one of the largest loyalty companies uh, of forester wave leader uh, 
the guy who had really grown them like 10x and then sold it off and then was kind of like you know uh, got him in as an advisor first one day a week uh, and that really cut our time into the us very quickly this was october november december 20 uh, we then won a couple of customers in jan for march 20 we realized the product will work uh, and we said look okay we didn't want to spend this 2 3 years getting to 0 to 1 in the us so i said let's do a small acquisition where the team is very good it's the same product or i mean like a much smaller set of the product so let that team sell a team who knows how to sell coupled with you know our our you know globally best loyalty platform let's say and let's see where this goes right so that worked out brilliantly you know we bought a company which was 25 crores 3 and a half million in a year uh it i mean given they were now selling our platform we grew from that 25 crores to like 65 crores you know in like 12 months so and and very blue chip uh customers right so we like four fortune 100 customers is what we ended up winning so it was just like a uh so yeah so so the last last 24 25 months have been totally the other way of saying life has downhill right uh, so we we had a great us story now we had two engines growing asia was coming back to growth us was growing our margins were much better because this was large enterprises growth was a lot more predictable because large enterprises have money more money to spend right they like what you're doing for them they'll spend more with you unlike mid market smb where they're always budget constraints there's always this question of hey but you need to give me more right so uh so yeah so the last two three years have been very interesting in that sense we have, we filed for an ipo uh right so given those numbers we probably one of these very rare uh tech companies which are growing 30 35% plus without actually burning any money you know like uh and, and our our economics is very different unlike the most saas companies which spend 70% on sales and marketing we spend like mid 20s and grow mid 30s people spend 60 70% on sales and marketing and grow mid 30s we just do the so i'm just saving like a big chunk there because half my growth comes from these large enterprises saying look hey we are we are growing so you will grow with us right so yeah. so i mean some of that worked out very well i i i think so we we went in and implemented this vipassana thing for everyone so uh, so as an employee you know if you uh, uh like 10 days a year uh, beyond the usual 22 days of leave and study leave and all that stuff you have you can take 10 days off to go to a vipassana or go to a, a retreat uh, mm-hmm. and that's beyond your leaves what made you think that this will be a sustained prolonged lockdown because you know there were examples like say there was like the sars thing which happened a couple of years back and swine flu and all of these uh like you know did not affect india at all uh, and at that stage most people would have thought that covid is like that it will come and go so w- what made you feel that this will be like a sustained thing and you really need to cut deep yeah so we have a business, we had a business in china right before mm-hmm. china is about 5 7% of our revenue and covid if you remember in china started in like end december early early jan right so it was already it had played out for 3 months in china and this 80% fall in revenues we already saw in china 
Right, so I knew what was coming a little bit. Like I had a 60-day early view of what was going to happen, and it at least seemed that oh, boss, ye 90 days to ye chalega, right? If if something as well run as China, you know, can't contain this damn thing, oh, no chance. Like India, Indonesia, and all these, you know, all the rest, <laughs> rest of Asia will be able to control it, right? So you kind of had that view that it's at least not a 15-day problem. ये मिनिमम ये ये नौ महीना चलेगा ये तीन महीना चलेगा चार महीना चलेगा राइट एटलीस्ट राइट एंड इट वाज नॉट लाइक यू वर सीइंग एनी विजिबल चेंज इन चाइना राइट दे वेंट इनटू लॉकडाउन्स आई थिंक मिड ऑफ जैन एंड इट वाज मिड ऑफ मार्च एंड दे वर इनसेसेंट राइट एंड इन स्पाइट ऑफ दैट इट सीम लाइक दे वर स्टिल लॉकिंग सिटीज डाउन एंड चाइना लॉकडाउन्स वर अनबिलीवेबल राइट आई मीन एटलीस्ट इंडिया यू कुड गो बाय ग्रॉसरी यू कुड डू समथिंग वेटेड <laughs> and i've still done some of this stuff right but but you know i i feel the right thing to do whenever you have hard choices to make is make the hard choice and look at it like one silver bullet you have so if you only had that one silver bullet you have to get your timing not too late and you have to like fire it deep enough right amazing okay so uh, you spoke of uh, diversifying beyond retail Uh, we spoke last time of the use case for like a unilever kind of fmcg where it would be for the kirana loyalty uh, what about for oil and gas like this would be for the petrol pump uh, point of sale uh, like they would start collecting so shell shell is a large customer let me give you the use case for shell right so that industry is transforming like crazy right so what's happening is everyone knows in 10 years no one will go to fuel up uh, right uh, and so obviously these are large billion dollar corporations right i mean five of the top 10 fortune 10 are oil and gas companies right its energy is that large right so um so for a lot of these folks the thing is look okay so people will probably come for a recharge uh of because you know you can recharge your car in 15 minutes in a in a shell store right it'll take you 8 hours at home the fast rechargers which recharge you in 80% in 15 minutes. I've seen them work. It, it's incredible, right? You so it's it's still and because these guys can buy power at a very different price, it'll also be cheaper than recharging at home. You know, like energy is I mean they have different like you know so uh, so their viewers look so this consumer now instead of refueling has to come for a recharge. I still need that. I need to know that customer. I need to offer him premium slots. I need to get them to go to the coffee shop, buy convenience from me while it's getting recharged. Do a car wash. Do a, a you know change of oil. You know all that stuff, right? So you have these like Shell in Asia has four thousand petrol stations. India has four hundred. It will probably get to four thousand over the next five ten years just in India, right? But Uh, so they are trying to say, look, I need I need a new customer value prop for my customer, uh, 
But that starts with first time, okay, let me build a database of customers, let me get them engaged first, let me get all of them into one app, right? So Shell now, just in India, has a million plus users. A million plus was within three months of launch. They have many more. People have downloaded that Shell Go Plus, uh, or it's called Shell Asia now, the Shell Asia app. Uh, and this app is for EV charging? No, no, it's for fuel. So the idea is you start with fuel and then over five, ten years as you switch over to EV. Like in Singapore now, we also have EV into the in the in the same thing. But you know, you start with fuel. There's basically we're trying to get you to go into the convenience store, buy coffee from us, do your car washes, do your look at Shell as not just your like you said, right, petrol mop. So <laughs> like try and get you out of that mindset into saying look. So the idea is in that same 15 minutes, can I make the same margin from this place as a fuel is a very low margin business, right? One percent, two percent margin business. Can I make the same margin if not the same revenue? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This Shell app, uh, uh, why would people download it? Like they would get some uh, discounts or some like uh, cashbacks or something like that? Yeah. So basically it's it's uh, offers on non-fuel mostly. You know, because fuel doesn't allow you to do much. You accrue points, which you can then spend. There's fleet loyalty. I mean, all of this is publicly available. In this app, the uh, the loyalty part is powered by you, basically. Actually, the whole app is powered by us. Ah, okay. You know, in fact, in a bunch of in a bunch of use cases like uh, like consumer goods, like uh, this and all, we realize that um, these are not the typical store use cases where you're at the cash till, right? Uh, uh, so these are slightly different. So we actually the whole app is on us as well, right? So uh, in fact, we're doing a bunch around a lot more stuff on on, on that, right? So. Uh, mm. So uh, you built the app as well, like the, this was like a turnkey project. Yeah, yeah. so we we actually built the app on this case because it's only a loyalty thing. Mm, uh, right, but right, right. you know, we also needed to do that because we were trying to accelerate this piece for ourselves. Uh, mm, mm. So I thought rather than have five other vendors do this, do this yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, right. And Mm. Right, so. uh, it gives you more control on uh, uh, how quickly you can release new features or do more stuff with the data. Uh, correct, correct. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Okay, so uh, you are uh, essentially a loyalty company. Um, how does this differ from, say, like there's this payback and loyalty rewards? Uh, is there a different business model for those companies versus Capillary or? Very different, very different. Okay. Look, we, we are a B2B play. You know, our customers own their data. We are a platform for them. Payback is where, you know, you're the customer, right? And you're the product. You know, Payback basically makes money by, you know, uh, getting you to spend more at other places and all that. So what happens, uh, uh, I think the beauty of loyalty or customer data works when you're working with 70% of the customers of a brand or 80% of customers of a brand. What happens in all these coalitions, right, like Payback, iMint, etc., etc., is it contributes to 3% of your revenue as a retailer or as a brand. So it's useless. What will you do on it? Like, and then it just becomes this, over, we've had so many customers move from Payback to us over the last 15 years. Like, you know, it's, it's because... Beyond the point, it looks to the customer ki, yeah, I'm just paying these guys this point cost. 
you know and it's not like you know uh, while in our case it's their own data their own teams work on our data they are running their own campaigns it's joint ownership in some senses if not them owning the whole thing right so as a net result i think uh, yeah and also what's happened is over the last uh, especially 5 6 years right as amazon is i think amazon is done that great job of telling the world ki look i mean business is not trading it is actually dealing with customers right so you at least need to have your own customer data right so so what really has happened is earlier people would outsource all this stuff right payback some agency some this some that payback is what is payback it's like a platform where you can plug in it's like a coalition loyalty program it's a coalition program okay. where the consumer has to like you know see i'm a payback member and i will like you know but like actual truth is in most markets less than 5% of customers actually will at the point of sale tell this guy look i am i am part of payback right uh you know so as a net result the other way around when the brand asks you ki look we have a program please be a part of it we want to take good care of you is a lot more you know the brand is taking control right and so you have much higher participation rates as compared to and then the analytics works the campaigns work the engagement works the growth in their sales works when it's 2 3% very hard won't work Right, right, so, right, right. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Uh, I want to understand about M&A, and uh, uh, you know, I guess that's the sign of a mature organization when it starts doing M&A. Uh, what is the way in which you think about M&A? What are the uh, pitfalls to avoid? What is the way to make a merger successful? Uh, because you acquired a company in the US also, uh, and probably you've done more post that also. So, uh, you know, tell me about that. Yeah, no, we've done four acquisitions till now uh, over the last, I'd say, ten years. I think two have worked. Uh, one has is working now, but took us a lot of effort to make work, uh, uh, which is the anyway commerce product. Uh, uh, one was a total failure, right? So, okay. uh, so quite which some money is there. Total failure, like the the first one you did, or which one? Yeah, the first one we did, right? It was a very small firm called Rua. This was in 2015. We had gone and bought a machine machine learning modeling firm. Okay. Small company. Uh, two that PhDs. That was like an acquihire. Like you wanted the the yeah, IP. Yeah, it's like an acquihire. We wanted the IP and the tech, uh, but uh, very cool tech. But you know, we very soon realized that you know, especially with a lot of this PhD data scientist type stuff. Yeah. it's it's great tech but it doesn't work outside the lab <laughs> <laughs> okay. right, so after that happened we actually built our own ai machine learning teams and then you know engineered it properly and all that stuff but but yeah like you know sometimes uh, so yes my view on some of this action uh, on mna is uh, i think the mistake we did with let's say marjack was we bought for revenues Uh, we shouldn't have, uh, you know. I, I there were a couple of other companies that we were considering, which were much smaller, uh, three four customers, but probably had a similar product, a more newer age product. Uh, probably that was what you know. So I think M and A is great to solve the zero to one story. It was zero to one on any new product or any new market is a three four five year journey. Right. So the first, 
1 million dollars of revenue the first five referenceable customers the first 15 employees or 10 employees i think is at least is what i feel is the right uh, uh, as a product company i think that's the right uh, mna uh, model having having tried a few things uh, like doing something pre revenue like we did with our uh, just this ai machine learning thing you know very different because you know when you when when you act when when the company starts working with found, with customers is when the real rubber hits the road moment arrives right then it's not this lab and it's a great work in the lab you know then customers throw you out if you don't deliver for 3 months no another patient right so uh Yes, I mean for me, I, I think it's more that side, right? So I would I would look at it as zero to one uh, uh, breakthroughs. But again, I, I also think the the most important thing in M and A uh, is culture. And we heard we learned this the wrong way. Like uh, you know, we were a very Capital is a very you know people look at me as an equal. Almost like an equal. Uh, so we're not this hierarchical promoter-run company. right uh, and i think some of the companies which we bought were just so hierarchical right uh, the the office boy will go get the bag of the owner from the car and put it on the table type you know and and i didn't understand this at that point in time but that essentially that essentially means the whole org is like that so the org will not tell you like here in capillary if there's a bad news they'll walk into the room and tell me right so like it, it's an open culture you come and tell so i don't have to double guess i don't have to second guess so while in some of these places i think the first learning for us in some of these places was people who not tell you like ki boss there is an issue and we were expecting people to tell you there is an issue right so i think cultural similarity and culture working is transparency right so radical transparency something we've always built capillary on so no one has to the second guess anyone right but those were stuff which were very different from uh, you know some of these things we did so so yeah i think culture do the zero to one shortcut i think is easier uh, you know uh, you know large companies who want to buy for the right reason uh, and the right reason know, is to do your zero to one for a new yeah zero to one for a new product or a new uh, new geography uh, new geography and second is uh, a product market fit uh, proof should be there like it should be proven that the product market fit is there and uh, third is uh, five, five customers about a million dollars of revenue and uh, you know the same use case for those customers five customers same use case for those customers and uh, you know first 10 15 employees who have stuck around and are culturally similar to you i think is is very very important okay and uh, how do you integrate uh, do you let them run their own shape or like how does that happen yeah the other thing i should say is you should have a very strong run out model a very what's strong run out model right what's it basically run out run out model run out okay. what does that mean run out is that you have significant amounts to be paid out post the acquisition okay don't pay right. everything because 
don't pay everything up front align because more than anything else it just aligns the hard conversation of saying what do you want post the acquisition from that firm and it aligns the founders also of the other firm right that hey this is what we are signing up for you know so it's not like a lot of times when someone wants to sell a firm they are in this mode of hey i've done this for 10 years now i'm tired right so uh, or your you know that you you think hey i have paid lower salaries for many years now this private equity funded company is coming in now i will get good salaries for everyone <laughs> you know and, and and as you start as you buy and you do that after two months then as the buying party you're like oh god like i didn't think ye hoga i didn't think ye hoga i didn't think ye hoga right so while on the other hand if you put it in saying look boss this is what i want from you and this is how you deliver on that promise uh, you know so I, i think some of that is very very key especially for the management team if not the shareholders of that company shareholders of that company don't have any more influence right so should probably let them take them away and move but uh, yeah the the uh, operator founder should uh, have skin in the game and be aligned uh, with what the goals you want to achieve through that acquisition great mm-hmm. okay fascinating so uh, you know uh, why ipo like uh, are you uh, i mean what is the reason to choose to do an ipo in this kind of a market and so it was uh, to i mean uh, so we decided to do an the start the process in april may june of 2021 right so almost 18 months ago uh, it's a long process and then whatever so hence we are where we are in terms of the process uh, uh, so uh, i think two reasons uh, so one was look having having built this i mean we got close we again ended fi 21 jan from march 21 profitably right after all this you know after even getting salaries back to normal all that stuff again ended it uh, with you know with a 10% or 89% profitability i don't remember the exact number now but uh, reasonably profitable right so and and so by then my view on the world was you know that i was starting to believe ki the right way to build companies is you know like profitably mid 30s growth uh 10% ebit 5 7 10% ebit and keep increasing ebit scale to the like that beauty that infinity right which was for 15 years they compounded at 30% with a 20% ebitda the 25% ebitda the 27% ebitda right so i thought i somewhere i fell into that camp of saying this is the right way to build a long term arc right it's not um you know it's not growth at all cost which we had tried earlier which we had you know so and 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 this was april of 20 uh and you know tech was uh, so before and i think at that point in time in india you had a couple of companies apple route which were in that 200 crore swish type revenue bucket which went public the stock had done well they're not pure tech like one is an ad tech one is a cpas provider types but there was some view of saying look like the threshold for at least people who are doing semi tech you know i would not call cpas as tech right so uh, is not the you know 3000 crores as a commodity business or as an apparel business 
1500 crores but is lower because people understand that margins are higher it's a different business right so uh, so that was one thing the second was i realized that uh, especially last year was very glaring right it was the market was just at oh, like we i would go into these vc meetings or private equity meetings and people reached out they saying look we profitable uh, and it was almost like like people didn't want to look below the line what are you growing at like uh, uh, right and, and and i think having gone through that whole thing in my head i was sure we look the company i want to build and the, i think what we can build as a good company over the next many years is probably this infi like right 20 35% growth get to 20% margins like compound you know build a good company build a nice company right anyway look i've always had this philosophy in life actually that beyond the first 50 crores of money money is not going to make a big change in anyone's life right so and so we've kind of made all that most of the employees have got reasonable exit so i think there's not this pressure to say hey exit and two years exit and three years so we also had the long term view and that was one big thing i felt that uh, 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 our growth our 5% additional margins every year type story probably resonated better with public market investors than with private uh, yeah than with private guys right so uh, so that was i think the biggest reason for doing it and thankfully the investors were very supportive you know uh, they said look whatever you want to do right so, but are you uh, listing because you want to raise more funds or are you listing for the benefit of being a listed company having that uh, equity as a currency and uh, other such benefits see i do think we'll do more m&a going forward uh, so definitely equity matters right, in that sense so uh, uh, we're also in some senses um, i think it's also value creation for employees i do think compounding at 30% is like over 10 years is incredible right i mean in fact we'd seen the infi story right infi was i think 7 800 crores of revenues in in 2000 uh 7 800 crores like and i'm not joking right so i think there were 100 crores of revenues or something like that in 1992 and it's all been this very very same 30% 30% 30% 25% margin 30% growth 35% growth type for many years right so i do i do believe in that look given people have worked so hard for like 10 12 years here you know why not just compound at that rate with you know your future in your hands right uh, and look the fact is actually uh, business we are in even if i go and scream and say hey there's a discount please take no one will take <laughs> it's large enterprises they have to go through their evolve risk is more important for them than discounts yeah right? so yeah, yeah, yeah. you you can't uh, spend to grow uh, like i mean if you don't need I think the incremental cost of uh, of uh, i would say forced growth is 10x higher than like normal growth you know what the market can support yeah. okay and, and what do you want to use these funds for what you'll raise in the ipo like you know we when we bought this us company it was in the middle of covid right uh, so 
So we were profitable, they were profitable. So I actually went the typical leverage buyout way, which is we raised only $2 of equity, $8 of debt, right? So, uh, so we have some debt to pay back there. Uh, you know, obviously, as a company, we continue to build more products in the space. Some of that, uh, but yeah. Mostly, I would say, you know, for paying debt off for, you know, long-term capex type stuff. So, so uh, we are about four months away from end of current financial year. What do you estimate as the revenue for this financial year? Like ballpark? Can't, can't say that. Can't say that. Okay. Or, but we decent growth. Better growth than last year. Let's put it that way. And what was last year? That number is public. So we grew at 26% last year. Uh, you know, again, we lost one quarter to COVID, you know, all that stuff, right? So uh, we grew 26% last year with a break-even. This year we'll grow faster with better profitability. So, so 26% over 32 million. So something like a 40 million. No, no, over 32, we went down. Our numbers are actually all in the public domain. Okay. So okay. we went down from, uh, I think, 220 something crores to 190s. Uh, hmm. You know, and then we went back to like 245 ish, 247 ish. Okay. 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 I, mean, I told you that we had one, one year of degrowth in COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So uh, I want to go a bit deeper into your people management and culture part of capillary. Um, you know, I, I've, uh, uh, one thing is that I have seen a lot of people from capillary go on to become founders and scale their businesses well. Uh, so there must be something in the culture which teaches them entrepreneurship. And then the second thing is you told me that uh, one third of your first 150 employees are still with you 10 years down the line. Uh, help me understand how you build this kind of culture. You know, I think uh, I told you, right, like I was in ITC for a couple of years and uh, we had this, my boss there was, I mean, my super boss, actually not my direct boss, was this guy called Sandeep Rangras, uh, great guy. And uh, he had this, you know, very people first view of the world. He was like, you have the right people, stuff will happen, right? So unlike the other way around, which most people are like, you know, uh, so I think our culture is a little bit like that. Uh, so we always had this, trust by default culture. So give people, get the right people, give them like large amounts of responsibility uh, and don't be behind their back, right? Be very accepting of uh, like, it's okay to make a mistake, you know, as long as you learn from it type. So, um, and that, that really, I think has helped us with the culture for many, many years. People have stuck around for, uh, it's a very transparent culture. It's um, we also, you know, we, we we also brought in a bunch of stuff from uh, like in Kharagpur. We used to have a brotherhood fund in the hall. It was a boys' hostel, so it was called the brotherhood fund. Basically, a small amount from your mess bill would be deducted and kept aside. And at the end of, uh, uh, if any students, you know, there was a loss in the family or they really needed money for something you would get that from the brotherhood fund, right? So, and, and we've had that in capillary for many years now, right? One, 1% of salary is reducted. And then as a community, if someone needs something, you like, needs especially health issues, you know, and, and you do have that, right? You do have that. And I mean, we obviously have insurance and stuff, but insurance doesn't cover everything, right? So, uh, uh, 
like covid was a great time right to covid wave to uh when it hit us you know almost 50 employees formed a call center we had employees in like i don't know 100 cities right by then people had gone to their homes and all that stuff and there was this call center we had set up to like call find beds for people like um so for one of our employees we actually had to fly that individual down from uh like airlift him from patna to hyderabad you know find uh, call up people get him into an apollo uh and the family at that point actually paid nothing right so uh the whole group together we raised some 2.5 3 crores for that employee so that he could get a lung transplant if it was required right so uh luckily for us you know through covid we actually didn't lose any employee and i thought that was we had people moved in ambulances from over 300 kilometers airlifted people it was one mad operation right it was one mad uh, it was just incredible i i i thought the way people responded to it was uh, was i i i i always say that as capillary we be more like a community than a company you know and i think that that uh, uh, that's really helped over the years then we also taken care of folks you know like startups are not easy right i mean startups are very hard you know so i think around the 5th year or 6th year of operation we realized that people tend to burn out um so we have this thing in the firm where every 4 years you get one month fully paid off it's like a sabbatical so you you go to i mean give some restrictions you can't go get married <laughs> you know so it's 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 really to go travel learn something stay at home you know stuff like that's okay but uh, yeah so so that's for this whole vipassana thing is worked we have a uh, one of the one of the um, core beliefs of the company is to build a conscious workplace you know conscious workplace is uh, essentially saying look unfortunately the way most of us look at life is title and salary right but life is a lot beyond that right i mean the most beautiful things about life are beyond title and salary right so so we do have we do these uh, two day retreats for employees where we you know it's like a, a two days of meditation and yoga and just uh, bunch of stuff like that we we had a running club for many years in the company you know so a lot of us did our first half marathon you know uh, uh, all that stuff together we all hit kaban on saturday morning 25 of us you know so uh, so that you know so yeah, i think that's that's had the culture that's kept uh, the culture alive Mm. it's amazing how you built that uh, second family kind of a culture you know and like that brotherhood fund of uh, getting people uh, empowering people to care for each other i mean now it's not just on individual initiative but you have access to a fund which you can use to help a coworker who may need mm. yep. so i think some of that uh, and the team has always been good right so multiple startups uh, what also helped is you know as i am an angel in all of these so as i put money in people around me put money okay. you know so in fact i think almost most of the startups that have come out of capillary within the first 3 months raise a couple of million 
Uh, who, who are some of the uh, startups in the capillary mafia, <laughs> if I can use that term? You know, there's Gameberry, which has done very well. Uh, okay. There's MPL. You know, MPL is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cap- I mean, Shubh was our second employee. It's right? mm-hmm. very, very early. Okay. Um, okay. We've had. Um, uh, you you met a few of them, Nectar, which is mm-hmm. Abhijit's thing, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. Ankur, Bamboo Box. Uh, you know, uh, we've faced it, which is actually Pravanjan, who's our CTO. He's he started up okay. uh, again, done fairly well. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there's there's your dost, which is again uh, a capillary. Uh, hmm. You know, there's guaranteed. There's a bunch of them. I think there's a list of about fifty, fifty-five now. But wow, amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, so we need to make this term viral now, capillary mafia. <laughs> 50 is a fairly big size. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I, I think there have been enough deaths as well. We've had people who've started up, come back and joined us again. Mm. You know, so it, it's been a very open culture in that sense, you know. So, mm. you know that you want to start up, it doesn't work out. I've, I've told people actually this, that you really want to start up, you're worried about something, go mm. come back after a few years, it doesn't mm. work out. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Quick update for uh, listeners of this uh, episode. Uh, we are now recording a year after we originally recorded with some additional updates and a couple of unanswered questions. Uh, let me start by, uh, you know, I had asked you about the product and you had told me way back in 2010 what the product looked like, how it captured data, generated an offer. Uh, what is the product today? Right. So, um you know, uh, we, we power uh, loyalty programs for uh, customers, right? So um, so basically, it's the whole membership management, it's signing up customers across channels, uh, then a single view of that customer across, uh, whether you're online, offline, wherever. Uh, if you're subscribed to a program, uh, you know, then managing the subscriptions. Um, in typical airline, hotel type use cases, it's things like, you know, the points and miles and uh, all of that. Um, and then we also have a pretty strong engagement product, uh, which is once you're part of a program, re-engaging with you, getting you back, um, all kinds of reminders if your points are expiring, if your membership is coming for a renewal, things like that. Uh, right? So that's the whole gamut of it, uh, right? So think of it as end-to-end managing uh, uh, a customer's life cycle with a with a brand right um, is it on autopilot or like uh, the reminders the communication which goes out like is it like set and forget all, or yeah it's all automated you can go change of course um like a, a bunch of stuff is automated right so in fact we have a bunch of stuff which is um, we use a bunch of ai in the tool as well so the tool would prompt the marketing uh, leader or the crm manager or whoever that, uh, you know, these customers haven't come back, you know, uh, so a lot of the, even the thinking is in a sense, reasonably automated into the tool now. Right. So, yeah. Mm. You know, while we stay on the product, I think, so in the space, in the loyalty management space, we are now globally the best regarded product. Um, so there's a analyst called Forrester. Forrester is known on the, CMO on the marketing side, and uh, we're the highest rated product on Forrester globally now. 
right? So, uh, and we feature on a bunch of other waves, even on the engagement one, we feature that I think we're in the top five, you know, the uh, number one there. But so I think the product has come a long way, you know, so. Uh, uh, why not go full stack and also offer point of sales software like billing and all? Because they're so related. Uh, why, why work with other billing softwares? If you have a customer, then upsell billing software also. You know, I think that's that's a massive red ocean, right? So, and what do you mean by red ocean? Yeah, so um, like like it's an extremely fragmented space. Too many competitors. If you get into that space, we don't compete in that space today. Actually, um, so what we felt was um, that look, replacing a point of sale system, right, is akin to an open heart surgery. Okay. Uh, you know and and what we felt was it's better to integrate with those folks rather than compete with them. And and like you have asked, um, like there's been this constant question we've got many, many times from, you know, from customers, from investors, from everyone saying you should build your own POS, you're never doing 50% of the work. And our answer to it has always been that, look, uh, we don't want to compete in that space. You know, uh, it's also a different buyer. Like the like our products are bought by a CMO, while the POS is typically bought by the CIO, um, and you know it's it's a different space to be in, uh, and it's also a very uh, extremely customized, highly um, fragmented space, right? So we we haven't, I, I don't think we'll ever get into the POS space. We'll 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 stay in the loyalty and customer engagement and marketing type space we'll we'll never get into the uh, transaction only space which is what a pos is okay so you're saying that loyalty uh, the product works across industries be it airlines be it hotels be it retail whereas for pos you'll actually need to maybe acquire a company in each of these you need to acquire a company which has a hotel pos and acquire a company which has a retail pos and so on so so like it's not worth the amount of effort you'll need to put in to build it up uh, across segments. You know, and for something like us to work, we need to be integrated into the POS, right? So if we were to go and build a POS ourselves, why will the large POS folks continue to give us love? Uh, right? Okay. Today, it's just, it's just that thing of saying, look, uh, it's not a space where we want to play in. And, and it's an extremely fragmented space. So it, like if you look at uh, retail itself, I don't think any retail POS player has more than a 5% market share. Wow. Okay. Right. So it's an extremely frag fragmented space. So if you want to like cobble up that space, it'll be like 100 acquisitions, not one. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so as compared, to, as compared to, let's say, loyalty management, where it's a, you know, if you look at the Forrester wave, it's 14 large players globally. Uh, you know, so it's it's a fairly it's okay. It's still a red ocean, but it's not like deep red, right? So there are there are like if you're good in technology, then there are places where you know you could really just uh, uh, those areas are not red ocean. I think good tech is still blue ocean in the space. That's not true with the POS space as much. No. Okay, uh, what's the like? What share does capillary have in the loyalty space? Like very rough estimate. Yeah, in the Asia markets, like India, we'll have a 30% plus. Uh, in the rest of Asia, we'll probably have 10, 12%. Uh, 
US Europe we've just entered right I mean this is our like we are a series A funded company in the US right so it's like two and a half years our first customer was signed up in Jan Feb March of 2021 uh, so we less than a percent in market share and and as you would guess US Europe is like 75 percent of the addressable market uh, so um, yeah so Asia I think is more like I'd say 10 to 30 percent market share while US Europe we are like this knocking on the doors right now. So, so you said that like replacing a POS is very, very hard, like an open heart surgery. Uh, replacing a loyalty program, is it equally hard? Uh, like, you know, what, what kind of resistance is there from a customer to replace a loyalty program that they are already using? Yeah, so that's a very good question, actually. So Forrester did some, uh, you know, they, they published a bunch of research that the average uh, customer stays with the loyalty provider for 11 years. Fairly you know, sticky. I mean, yeah. very sticky, very sticky, yeah. right? So, which is where I think even our strategy has been a little bit on saying, so so people do come up with RFPs every 7, 10, 11 years, uh, right? So it's a very sticky buy. Uh, like, um, but it's like, you know, the, the technology, especially in the West is like, Pro, loyalty programs have been around forever in the West, right? So those tech stacks are, I would say, 20 years old, 25 years old uh, tech stacks, right? So uh, so our strategy in the US has been, while Asia has been only organic, you know, we've grown through winning new customers and stuff. The US and Europe, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of said 50% of our growth will come organically. The other 50 will actually buy, right? So we, we, we do... In fact, in the last six, seven months, we've done a couple of acquisitions now. Uh, we've uh, like we've done three acquisitions in the last two years in, in, in US and Europe now. Um, and the idea there is you buy a book of business, you then are easily able to move those customers to your tech platform rather than wait for those customers to come up with an RFP and then, you know, do a whole new thing, right? So... Uh, uh, and that's working well, you know, because what we do is we convert the existing software that the customer is using, the company we bought into like a middleware. Um, so that helps as the integration platform in some senses. So the customer then gets access to a much better tech platform. Uh, you get access to much bigger, larger customers. Um, so, you know, uh, so it's so that that's our way of dealing with this very large sales cycles and very sticky uh, business that loyalty is. Okay, amazing. Um, are acquisitions, uh, are they a bet you take or is it like a well-oiled strategy? You know that if I spend X dollars on an acquisition, it'll lead to Y dollars of value creation and it's fairly predictable. And, uh, you know, what is, what is it like? Because acquisitions can be very risky. Companies have, like, you know, lost a lot of value due to wrong acquisitions and so on and so forth. So, so you know, I want to... Including understand. us, including us, including us. You know, I think we did a bunch of acquisitions in that 2015-16 space where those didn't work out for us, right? So, uh, so I think lots of learnings there. You know, I, I we, we've, we've wasted at least 30% of the equity of the company doing acquisitions, which didn't work out, right? So, uh, so we have made our... Uh, our fair share of mistakes there. I think my learning there, uh, Akshay, is a little bit of, I think the, the biggest risk on acquisitions usually ends up being product. 
you know so if you're buying a new product uh, it ends up being uh, uh, you know whether it will work whether it's good enough whether it's feature rich whether it's the best product in the market you know all those end up being very large risks right uh, and hence our thesis has been to say look i think we have the best product in the loyalty space so let's buy other companies in the space and add to revenue right so so you're actually hence eliminating a lot of the risk right you're eliminating a lot of the product risk uh, you're anyway the best product in the space that's not what we are saying that's what a forester is saying that's what a bunch of these large consulting firms are saying um so when you then go to a customer and say look hey we will upgrade you free to what's the best product in the space a lot of them then just like uh you know are happy to move right so so in, i think we've somewhere got to a space now where we know that we are buying subscale competitors of ours we know that we buying companies which are not great on technology themselves uh and hence we're able to make the math work very well i think the the thing with acquisitions is if you're buying with like 10% margin of error god bless you you're not going to get too far if you're buying with like a 50 60% margin of error you know things will not work out in an acquisition right there'll be some pieces that will definitely not work out now if your margin for error is like 50 60 70% then what do i mean by 50 60 70% if you are trading at 6 7 10 times revenue multiple and you're buying at 1 to 2 times revenue multiple then you have massive margin for error right uh, and you will you will get at least 20% of your thesis wrong on every acquisition while if you are buying something at like you know you're trading at 10 times revenue and you buy something at 9 which is kind of what we used to do in 2015 16 um then god bless you right then you're definitely going to have like a rough time okay phenomenal um, c- can you explain this margin for error with some uh, example using numbers and all i i just want to like get a little more clarity on this you know as you know we've generally traded at 10 times revenue right like whenever we raised uh, money as a business we've kind of raised in the ballparks of like the 10 times uh, arr or 10 times last 12 months or next 12 months or something like that right so uh, and so when we did a bunch of acquisitions in 2015 16 we went and bought companies at like 8 to 9 times right so it still looked like you were buying at like a 10 15% discount which is kind of the margin for error in some senses right uh so what i'm meaning by that is after the acquisition you realize that 20% of customers churned or that the technology was not good you have to invest you know x million dollars to like get it to a good place your margin for error is all gone right while what we are doing now is essentially we're saying look we have the best product in the space so i'm buying a book of business right and i'm what are the companies we're buying we're buying companies where we know that and they also know that if they have to build a tech platform like capillary it will cost them like tens of millions of dollars right and if you're a 10 million dollar revenue company or a 20 million dollar revenue company investing 10 million dollars to build a tech platform is not going to work for you right so so the founders there or the management there already knows that look you know i think we we are going to be disrupted at just a matter of time and so they are happy selling at like you know five times ebitda or you know one times revenue or two times revenue because they know that if you look at a five year view or a 10 year view most of their customers are going to move out if they don't make that big tech investment and making that big tech investment will mean you know it's a big risk right even after you make it you don't know if you will really end up uh, 
you know, uh, being competitive enough and things like that. So the more recent acquisitions we've done have been more in the, you know, companies that are not growing very fast, one to two X revenues, uh, you know, that kind of space, right? So it then gives you a lot of margin for uh, like error and, and acquisitions, I think are all about the margin for error. Amazing. So you would buy like a 10 million ARR company for maximum 20 million, uh, but that 10 million uh, ARR getting added to your ARR would increase your value by 100 million because that's what you've been historically raising. Probably let's say in a year, right? You will have to move those customers to your platform. The companies you're buying will also be at lower gross margin. You'll be buying companies at like 50% gross margin while you operate at 75. Now that movement from that 50 to 75 is going to happen by you moving tech platforms, right? Uh, once you move to tech platforms, you know, then we tend to have a average upsell. Like if I have a hundred dollar book of business that grows to $120 on the existing customers every year, right? So our net retention rate is 120. Now, a lot of these companies you're buying are probably going to have a 0%, you know, we just break even, you know, hundred, hundred percent retention rate. So some of those changes happen when you move the tech platform, right? So it's going to take you that effort for an year, year and a half. Uh, but but at the end of an year and a half, you know that this will be a 20% free cash business with, you know, and we've proven that now with a few customers that like the first set of acquisitions we did, the, the second company we bought is again on that same track. But essentially you're able to show that you're able to migrate customers. You're able to get those customers to buy more from you the next year. Uh, stickiness is far higher. Customer NPS is at least 20, 30 points higher than what it was on the old platform, right? So a bunch of very tangible things which you're able to then move, which then adds, which then makes that two times revenue multiple or one times revenue multiple, like a nine or ten times revenue multiple. Right? So amazing, amazing. Uh, what's your ARR now? You planted that well, okay. but I can't answer that. <laughs> let's say, let's say we'll, we'll get close to 100 in the next uh, 12 months. Amazing. So you, your next round will be a unicorn round. You know, I, I hope we don't need to raise the next round. The business is profitable. You would you would do a, a pre-IPO round? Uh, typically, companies do like a pre-IPO fundraise before the actual IPO. You know, we, we raised $40 million in March of this year, right? When we, uh, uh, so the option we had was continuing on the IPO path where we had an approval from SEBI and all that. Or, uh, but the markets were in the dumps in March. They're they're brilliantly doing well now. Uh, but the good thing was, you know, in spite of the funding winter, you know, we were able to raise like a $40 million round. Uh, so, you know, the business has been doing well. It's kind of, at a break-even for the last couple of years, we've been growing like 30, 35% organically. You know, we have a very good inorganic thesis of buying other companies now. Uh, so we were able to raise. So with that, I don't think we need to raise more primary as such uh, uh, as a business. Of course, we have investors, so we have the responsibility of getting them an exit. Uh, so they might be secondaries. You will probably in the next 18 months want to go out, you know, when you're at that, 100 million type revenue run rate when you're at, you know, uh, 10 million of free cash getting generated in the business. Um, I think like a 10% free cash, 30% organic growth is an all-weather public company, right? Uh, 
<laughs> while what happened last year or probably a little bit of what's happening this year also is uh, a little bit more um, great weather companies, right? Which is if the markets are doing very well, you do very well. Otherwise, you get slapped around like quite badly. Uh, do you regret not doing the IPO? Like, uh, that I'm actually very grateful we didn't go public. I'm actually okay. very grateful we didn't go public. You know, because if it if it had happened, we would have gone, right? I mean, who would not? But uh, but you know, in all the conversations, we we had a lot of love in terms of meetings. So we had fifty investor meetings, uh, all kinds of folks, right? Like the largest funds to mid-sized funds to you know market makers, etc. So there's definitely interest in SaaS in the India markets. You know that was proven very clearly. But one thing we realized was that. You know, unlike the US where people are okay with loss-making companies and all that, I think uh, in India, folks want to have a, uh, you know, like 8-10% free cash, right? And we were at a break-even. I mean, our numbers are public in the DRHP and all. We were at a break-even for a few years. But, uh, you know, probably an year or two to get to that 10% free cash on a sustainable basis without impacting growth, right? I mean, you also want to grow at this around the 30s and a 10% free cash organically. And then you do whatever you do inorganically, right? If you're able to add another 20, 25% growth or 10, 15% growth through inorganic, I think that's the right mix that we kind of want to get to. Uh, okay. And then probably another 18 months before we go out again. Hmm. What's your uh, stake worth now? Like what percentage is? <laughs> it, it, it frankly doesn't. You know, my view on money, Akshay, has been that, uh, you know, beyond the first 50 crores in life, uh, it doesn't practically, and 50 also is with a great margin of error, <laughs> right? Uh, it, money doesn't change your quality of life. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's so, just a number. It's just a number, right? And and thankfully, you know, at least very early in life, I realized that uh, there are many better things to change in life than money. Right? So... Uh, so let's say yeah. that my my equity in capillary is worth more than 50 crores. So anything more beyond that is not really going to change like quality of life for me. Although capillary for me is not only about money, right? I think it's about building a great company. It's about culture. It's about uh, building the best product in the space globally, building a market leader globally. I think some of those money can be an outcome, but you know, so what's my... What's my value and what's my worth in terms of capillary? More than what I need, I think is the is the right answer to it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm guessing it would be like a single digit percentage at this stage, which is typically you yeah. know when companies are correct, nearing correct. IPO. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. you know, a lot of founders of early stage companies have this you know dilemma of should I dilute. And do I really want to be just a five percent owner of the business which I'm building? And you know, so what's the way to think about that? You know, I think I would say that look, ownership is not just about how much you own in the company, right? Uh, like other than the financial ownership, if the company is doing well, the investors don't get all the laurels, right? I mean, you're the you get all the thing. Uh, if you built a great company, the satisfaction for that sits with you. I mean, if you're having companies coming out of your company, you know, which is if you're as capillary, we've been very lucky to get a lot of entrepreneurs coming out of us, right? So, so all that satisfaction sits with you. So just saying, you know, so 
the way i would look at it is okay i have single digit financial ownership in the company which is more money than i ever need in life uh right but everything else like you know i i think i have reasonable ownership right so uh unfortunately and and look i don't come from i come from 2008 right when st- when building a company was not about money so i am not from that mold of you know i don't connect with this whole unicorn valuation i don't connect with this whole you know i'd much rather tell an investor don't invest at a much higher valuation in me like let's come in at a reasonable place you know so that you make money we make money everyone makes money then try and maximize this you know uh, multiple or or whatever right so yeah. okay one last question i want to ask you uh, what's like a mna success playbook uh, you know when you acquire a business do you for example keep the existing leadership do you send in someone from capillary to make the change happen uh, you know what are like some of those steps which you've learned that if these steps we do it then it's likely to be a successful merger you know i think every acquisition is different uh, and and what we realized is that um like we di- we diligence a lot more before than after right so uh, and and the thesis has been very different right so the first acquisition we did persuade uh which was in 2021 september 2021 that that was our that is our us business today right so we rebranded it as capillary uh you know and so it was the same team that ran for at least the first 18 months uh right so the second acquisition we did however was slightly different in the sense that they were slightly loss making uh you know so we had to turn it profitable we had to take some cuts on day 1 uh, uh to get it to that place now this team also had a lot of great talent right the second acquisition we did dryly and partners uh so we actually ended up like promoting the head of hr there as our global head of hr our global head of consulting is also from dryly now so i think it's it's very like you know i, I hear a lot of people who we have spoken to saying fire the entire leadership on the first day plant your people in like i, I don't think you know i i think these are uh these are very i i would say these are very specific to each company decisions right so if you have great talent you'd be stupid to fire them right now now have we let go have we have we asked a few of those leaders to leave on day 0 to get it to profitability yes like they had a very large finance team which we didn't see any need for so you know because we anyway have a good finance team and whatever right so so we asked that cfo to leave i mean of the company we were acquiring but again i'm saying it, it's not like one one uh, um you know one one, one thing fixed right problem. yeah 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 you can't it's never that way. It and yeah. should you should you move your people into those companies definitely yes uh, because it then gets to a unified culture what you don't want to do is build a frankenstein right that there are oh you have 20 acquisitions or 10 acquisitions and each of those has their own culture and they run very differently and all that uh, so we do believe that integrating on day one is like critical but integrating on day one doesn't mean finding the entire leadership team or none of that stuff right integrating on day one is a very thoughtful you know who do you keep who do you not keep you know uh, what are gaps that you have that you fill so there's a lot of thinking that goes on into and each of our acquisitions have hence margin for error is similar 
you know but what you do in terms of people is extremely custom to each acquisition and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to the show i'd love to hear your feedback about it do you have your own startup ideas i'd love to hear them do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show i'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests write to me at ad@thepodium.in at that's ad@thepodium.in at